I was just about to say, I'm late. I'm late. I'm really, really late. Um, because I slept through five alarms, so I woke up at 9.48 today. Whoa. You know what's funny? Is Did you hear all these quackings and squawkings and then just go, well, he'll die? You know, I did not hear them because I slept through several alarms as well. Oh. Luckily, my body clock woke me up at 8 o'clock, oh. which is when I'm supposed to be out the door. Right. And I had thought what had happened was that sometimes I don't hit snooze. I just turn it off in my stupor. But that's not what had happened. It had that been, didn't happen to me either. It had been going off for one hour, and yeah. I had been sleeping through it, and I didn't realize this till I got back out of the shower, and it was still going off. Mine... Because it doesn't go off consistently. It goes off for a little while, and then it takes a break. Yeah. So I awoke during the break thinking, fuck, I must have just shut it off. And then, what do you know? It was going the whole time, and I just slept through it. That never happens to me. Mine... I'm like running around like a psychopath and then all of a sudden the snooze alarm goes off again. I'm like, I did not slap that thing for three straight hours. Exactly There's what no I thought. There's no fucking way. I, did Apple just fuck up? Dude, I'm wondering if something happened because you know all this shit is internet connected whether the app claims to be or not. Right. I wonder if there was some weird kind of software. But I also have up. like a a desk alarm that was not going off. Well, that I can't explain to you. But it is, that's a crazy coincidence that too yeah that's weird to have that happen like around the same time on the same morning yeah that makes me feel like maybe the time change done fucked up fucked apple something up and the code didn't catch up to the alarm but it worked yesterday yeah that's true i was I, up at the ass crack of dawn yesterday because the alarm went off and i went okay well it could be unrelated to the time change it could just be some sort of communication fuck up i don't know i think it's well i i, I know mine was i only slept for like three hours last night because i just couldn't go to sleep and then i or the night before so i only slept for three hours the night before and then last night i was like oh i can't fall asleep because i crashed real hard on the couch oh man and then was like i'm up fuck now yeah, it's four yeah. in the morning i you have gotta to sleep avoid for the nap man you can't really do i couldn't that. help it because of the three hours before you know you got to just push through and then <sighs> sleep for like 10 or 11 hours that's how yeah, i can't do that that's how it should about go doing it and then like eh. But yeah, that is very, very suspicious to me. I didn't think anything of it till you just said that. I yeah, all day I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm so late. Makes me feel like something was going on. Huh. But anyway, yeah, that's not a great place to start. Never no. is. Uh-uh. I don't. I really don't like it because you know I'm big on like I gotta have a coffee. I like to eat breakfast here if I have time. I had so much to do. Having to shower my and just like run right into the day feels awful. I didn't get to poop. Yeah. Oh. That's a big one. Are you like a first thing in the morning guy? Yeah. Really? See, it, I, I'm embarrassed because it doesn't hit me until I've had a coffee or oh, two, no, no. and I'm always at work. Uh-uh. So sometimes the morning meeting is kind of rough. I, I have to make it through the morning meeting. I don't like to leave the home without, you know, hmm. a good old hose out you would tushy. You would do well in the military. Yeah. Shift, We've talked about this. Shave. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. Really? We have? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Take your word for it. Um, Yeah. I, you know... I, because, you know, like, you know the thing of, like, you never want to shower and then just be like, uh-oh, gurgle, gurgle. No, you do not want that. Except with a bidet. It's like, okay, honestly, who cares? It's fine. I mean, it's still less than ideal. I think it's fine. You're cleaner than you would be with TP alone. But, yeah. um, you know, I still think you want it pre-shower. Eh, I, I don't know. I think the pressure washer effect versus the shower water pressure is, you know, you're blasting barnacles off, you know? You should watch the... um. Second to most recent episode of South Park. It's called Japanese Toilet. And Randy <sighs> buys a Japanese toilet and goes on a crusade to convert the rest of the town. I've been on this crusade these. for years. <laughs> There's plenty of evidence on this podcast of my, uh, you know, evangelism for, you know, water connected hole spraying. Well, the bit is that uh, Americans refuse to adopt this. Uh, yeah, just for gross. ideological reasons. So uh, Randy is analogized to JFK, and they attempt to assassinate him. <laughs> <laughs> Big toilet paper tries to kill Randy. The Charmin bears are coming out, or whatever, and just like we is it yeah. Charmin? Yeah, they're gonna eat him. They, I'm surprised they didn't incorporate that. They could have. I mean, yeah. The most recent episode about ChatGPT was pretty good, actually. Oh, I watched boy. that last night. Um, what's going on with the Silicon Valley Bank? I I need I need your boy Peter. You need, you I need, need your, your boy Peter to. Coolest tits. Peter? Yeah. Teal? Yeah. Oh, if only we got the teal bucks from him. Peter, (sighs) if you're out there and you're listening, 
no, you want to sponsor no, this is, us. This is an anti-Peter Thiel podcast from my end. So, Well, then you know what? It's it's only a 49% anti-Thiel podcast because I'm, I'm pro-Thiel over here. So. How do you get the extra 1%? Well, I bought all the stuff at the beginning. I edit every episode. I pay all the hosting fees. Yeah. I think I'm entitled to 1% of the podcast I mean, over you. I do. We've think been through this many times. If a, it's not every episode. B, <laughs> I think I paid for the arm. You bought your own arm, didn't you? I did. Okay. Um, <laughs> you get the so, page, you get the page money. Look, man, you're lucky. I'm only taking one percent. The page money goes towards the, the hosting, hosting fees. fees yeah, so it's it, a net zero, which it does not cover. Oh fuck. Okay. So, so this is a, this is now a Patreon ad. Hi, we want to get those to net zero. Okay. Yeah. Maybe plus five. Yeah. Why? You want two dollars and fifty cents of that? Yeah, maybe when I want a candy, I can just be like, use that page money and buy me a candy. Well, you you can't forget that taxes come out of it. So taxes twenty four percent right away. Patreon takes a cut. Tip us on Venmo, and then I gotta get a uh, fifty one of whatever's left over. So you're looking at maybe eighty nine cents. That's a bottle of water the on the side of the this. highway. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> A bottle of water on the side of the highway is usually trucker piss. I wouldn't recommend drinking. No, it. like when you know, in the summertime, when people are walking around with the bottles of water and the like, uh, the fruit. The yes, well, fruit. I knew what you meant. It's called a joke. Yeah, but it was bad, so Welcome I wasn't regarding show. it. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> I'm no, no, anding you. Um, you love to do that. That's your favorite. Uh, thing. no, and you gotta find the button. You don't know and me. Yeah, you know, but that's the thing. I mean, you always do that. Do you really want to know about the Silicon Valley Bank? I read enough, I think, but I'm like, you know what? Why don't we go over it? I don't have too much to talk about today. Okay. We can we can we can run it down. Well, we why don't, it for why a don't you bit. tell me what you know or think you know about it and we'll go from there. So there was a good old-fashioned bank run that may or may not have been drummed up by some people who were actively trying to short stock in in said bank. Um and then Oh, I didn't hear about big that. Big government said the FDIC will cover everyone, not just the standard issue $250,000. So yes. it's not paid for by taxpayers, but you know, no one no one go run to your regional banks as some of the uh, CEOs were uh, saying that everyone would do. Um, and then they were patting themselves on the back and then they were getting ratioed on Twitter. Yeah, well, you know, I saw this like bubbling up over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mostly from like stock market accounts and things like that that I follow. People trying to, you know, game this for to their advantage on opening of markets Monday today, which of course everything shit the bed. Which is a little yeah. bit. Which is a, a, we'll see if that we'll see if that sticks holds because yeah. sometimes when the government intervenes, it actually makes it go up. It sets precedent. I actually kind of a lot to say about this at the end of the day, but you mm. pretty much laid out the fact of the matter as, as I understand it too. I mean, the the only thing that tripped me up is today I was listening to a podcast that went in pretty pretty deep about it, and they were kind of making it sound like it, that it's 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 really dubious whether or not the the government intervened here because there was actual systemic risk of like more bank runs and more failures, or whether they just did it to like establish a new a new precedent which mm-hmm. is that fdic insurance actually covers everything actually covers everything yeah. for rich people yes which are the only people with that much money in their accounts anyway i mean yeah that need multiple bank accounts but like there was something really stupid that happened in this scandal where a Ro- lot of people had way too much money in single accounts roku which is had retarded. 457 million dollars in a single checking account that's insane to me i mean that's ceo that's fiscally irresponsible yeah that ceo should be fired i mean that's in- the that's- cfo should be fired not the ceo well, all well, of all, the board the c-suite yeah. should be fired that's an yeah. insane decision that's so much risk the fact that the bank like allowed it is also even insane. for themselves that, there crazy. are not federal rules that you cannot do that no yeah apparently one of the problems with the silicon valley bank was that it was like completely vertically integrated so to encourage... What is this, American Apparel making t-shirts and then sewing them down the line? I guess to encourage these tech startups to bank with them, they would say, like, if you if you open a checking account here, you also need to open, like, all of these other subsequent accounts for, like, your, you know, your speculative capital, your retirement accounts. So, like, everything is at one place. That's which is stupid. Insane. Yeah, which is crazy. I guess it was easier for these people, but 
you know, such a high level of exposure. You're yeah, they're like, like VC idiot brains are just like, oh, vertical integration. I love that word. Yeah, fuck yeah, do it all at once. I it's mean, like, every even everyday average people know this. I have my money spread in four or five different ways. My credit, like, the fact that Roku had it in one place is my credit psychotic. comes from a different bank than my checking and savings. I don't have it, so you know. Yeah, well, that's typical. Yeah, yeah, duh. I mean, keeping. I mean, for a normal person, keeping your checking and savings in one place is pretty par for the course. That's normal. But I mean, yeah. You know, retirement accounts are different places. That should be with Charles Schwab. Credit cards are usually different. You should have a certain amount in cash or assets. I mean, this is crazy that they did that. That's nuts. But anyway, absolutely bonkers. So the, I mean, the crux of the matter is, is like, w- what was really the motivation for bailing this out when the systemic risk was actually pretty low? It seemed like because yeah. none of the companies banking at this place are like essential industries. You know, no Roku could go out of business and like it's going to be inconvenient for a second, and then everyone goes and gets a Fire Stick. You know what I mean? It, I mean, who has a Roku? There's real no. TVH? There's no. A lot of people do, but really? there's no like a- actual like consumer advantage to having done this. No. So as we already established, all it does is destroy the incentive for banks to pay into FDIC insurance because at the end of the day, it's all covered by taxpayer money anyway. But people were trying to wire money out before uh, the the prob- the troubles. Um, oh, well, clearly they the, fro- it, their wires were frozen. Because it was a regional bank, clearly the entire city you know and everyone based there got wind of this ahead of time obviously and obviously the employees that are there did that so so yeah on some level whenever a bank run happens they do have to do that kind of freeze banks don't have your cash yeah no shit their whole thing is that they're reinvesting it for their profit while you lend it to them so you know in order that some people could get some money you always have to do something like a freeze but it is pretty like i don't know it's it's the same thing as the financial crisis all over again. I mean, they're yeah. just golden parachuting it, but it's it's funny to preempt it. It made me wonder a lot of things because I was like, okay, this is really similar in my head. I was thinking about this all day around this issue. It's similar to me with the student loan thing. You know how it's tied up in the Supreme Court now? Like yeah. it finally got to that level and the, the conservative Supreme Court is poised to... Oh, I have to something to say about that. Yeah. Deny it. Well... I was actually having this conversation with my dad in Ohio because he was asking me about what's going on with that and how I feel about it. And I was like, well, you know, everybody's just going to not pay no matter what the decision is because the precedent's been set that it's possible. So why would you ever start paying again? After it's been on hold this long, they've destroyed the incentive to, like, participate in the system in the way that it was normally structured. Like, the punishment incentive is gone. Everyone just stays in, like, a wait-and-see posture until eventual relief that has to come. Right. No one, no politician is ever going to give the whip hand, Republicans included. No one's going to do it. They're going to just keep pausing it forever. And so rather than go through, like, the mechanism of passing a law that would make it work, they'll just never pass the law, and they'll keep it in this gray zone, right? So the same thing applies to Silicon Valley Bank and all of this. I'm like, okay, when you destroy the incentive structure around FDIC insurance— Banks now know that's possible. Even if you never intend to do that again for any reason, they'll never pay into that I- insurance for any reason. That fucks up. No over, regional bank yeah. will ever do this again, and that fucks up an income source like for this insurance in the first place. It makes people have to print money. The weird thing about doing this at this instant, too, is it goes against the established monetary policy of tightening right. that's happening right now because they have to print all this money. Yeah. So I'm like, we're just destroying the system at a really rapid pace in these like bureaucratic and boring ways. But like, it just, it does the thing of like, you know, money only has value because we believe in it. And the more of these incentives you eliminate, the less and less true that. What is this? Zimbabwe? Over time. It's very weird. I I mean, it's weird to witness it and everyone be aware of it. Well, it's also like, it takes a certain level of like reading really hard to understand what the fuck is going on. Cause I'm like, I'm a dumb, dumb. I, I, you know, studied for series six and even still I'm like, I don't fucking know what's going on. Like everyday people cannot know this. Uh, Well, and it's hard to tell 
the thing about the financial system that's interesting to me is that because our country is set up for everyone to have a stake in it one way or another, like or at least a lot of people, that's what the whole middle class is about, right? Owning a home, having savings, having a 401k. Like more um, average people, I would say, have some baseline like financial interest or literacy than almost any other topic because they have to. You can ask them where is Zimbabwe on a map, and they'll never be able to find right. it. Right. But if you ask them, like on some level, how monetary policy works, you might have to phrase it in a different way. But if you ask them about money stuff, they kind of get it. And and so I'm not saying that like everybody is following. That this. usually means that they have some. When you're a pavo like moi, you're like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, but as part of like the polity of a country, you can effectively like discount those from those people from anything. Because, A, they're not taken into consideration with any policy Correct. at any yeah. time. And, B, they also are completely disinterested for for reason A. Yeah. So, whatever. Like, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about anybody that has the potential to, like, that has the minimum amount of investment to maintain some awareness. Right. They're yeah. going to know about finance more than almost anything else. Yeah. Because they have to. Yeah, maybe. It's the thing that has the most bearing on their life. So things like this, I don't think slip under the radar that much. I, I think there is this kind of pathetic malaise that we've talked about a million times where people just kind of shrug because what are you going to do gonna about do? it? You yeah. can't do anything about it. Uh, the, the contrast that's so high about this one that's interesting is like this train derailment like oh, yeah. just happened and they lie about it all the time. They clearly aren't going to do anything about it. And then right on the heels of it, somehow government has the mechanism for like a, a pretty large scale bailout in less than 24 hours. So it's like it's very obvious on a Saturday whose interest is is at heart here. Yeah, and like we all get this at this point. But I'm want to return to the idea of like constantly destroying incentives for action. The more and more you like, the more and more you render everyone in kind of a neutral wait and see position. I think just the it gets exponential. Well, it gets exponential, but it also gets more. Faster. Yeah, yeah. It also gets a little more confusing. So, and it's you know shrouded in such a way that you can do a lot of bank rebranding things so um i don't know if you have any loans called f f e l p like felcher loans or whatever the fuck it's called yeah um the first f is federal right so i thought this is paused indefinitely i do not have to pay this turns out it's not so i got a call the other day hi you're about to default and i'm like excuse me what they're like on these i'm like what are you talking about? I don't have three thousand dollars to give you. I I do, but we don't. I'm not giving it to you. Right. Um. And they're like, I was like, it's federal. I thought all we don't have to do any of that. I thought it was all paused. And they're like, well, actually. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's a well, actually, that an 18 year old doesn't fucking know about. Yeah, definitely. I went through this exact same thing about two months ago because <sighs> I've been I've been getting the default. Uh, notifications on like about eight thousand dollars of my loans and i thought everything was on indefinite pause too and sure enough i you know i get the notice in the mail eventually because they'd been calling me and i was just like fuck you guys whatever uh but yeah then you find out there is like a carved in exception where yes in a technical sense you did take these loans out from the federal government but they're um administered by, by somebody else by third parties that are private and have a stake in it here's the thing the, the most of the generation that's impacted by the student loan issue has no assets. So yeah, sure, I'm about to default. It's going to hurt my credit. Who cares? You have nothing. Oh, I have bad credit anyway. You have. Fine. I have already had bad credit. You have. There's nothing you can repossess for me. Unless there's you nothing start you can repossess for me. Garnishing wages, in which case, what good is that going to fucking? Do? Which eventually they will threaten to do that, and at which point you pay them the bare minimum to not do that, and the process starts all over again. Again, they're not incentivizing very, people like, to pay these things gangster back. Gangster level like strategy, though. Yeah, which it which it always has been, except they don't have the muscle anymore. Is what I'm saying. Like a mafia threat is much more direct. Yeah. We will break your legs. Yeah. They have no way to break anyone's legs anymore, and they've let the problem get so big. What are they going to do? Come and take my Vizio? They, yeah, they can't. There's nothing for them to do. They've they've impoverished a generation, so there's nothing to repossess. It's really different if you're like a tech worker making $150,000 a year and you're not doing it. Then they have something to take from you. Yeah. They can't take anything from me. Like you said, eventually they can threaten to garnish your wages. But like I said, there's they're not going to want to do that. Yeah. That's a pain in the ass for them. Also, like how... They would rather you just pay them off to delay it for a while. Right. Hmm. As the interest accrues, you know, in their minds, it's better for them. 
but I, I really think as a generational problem, uh, nobody thinks long term. And no. again, I mean, like I can relate this to a lot of things. I don't know. Like when when I started to think about um, just moral hazard, because that's what you know, that's what people always say when it comes to these things. Like one of the reasons that they never will bail out poor people in these situations is elites will say this c- creates a moral hazard. Where if we, oh fuck a moral which hazard. essentially just means if we sent the if we set the precedent for doing this, it'll destroy the incentives, uh, the the uh, punitive incentives that we've always had established. So we can't do it. But the moral hazard disappears when it's elites being affected and they do it. But that trickles, rather that echoes through the entire system. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so one of the reasons that uh, in the past I would always go on and on about like free speech concerns and everyone would say, I don't care if it, you know right-wing people are getting censored or whatever, is for the exact same reason. Like It impacts everybody's rights. So when it comes to the financial system, it's really interesting to me because I'm like, eventually there's there's not there's not that many options there you know what i mean like where do, what does that culminate in either that culminates in actually just giving the whip hand to the pores at some point which is most likely situation and just saying fuck it there are two classes in this country they play by different rules we don't need to codify it legally it just is what it is the yeah. techno feudalism everybody fears yeah right probably yeah. the the probable outcome the other option is I don't know. You just let it. You just let it keep going, and you don't want civil unrest, so you eventually implement a kind of socialism without saying it's that mm-hmm. a UBI. But there's all sorts of perverse incentives and moral hazards that surround all of these outcomes. So it's just I don't know. It's interesting speeding towards a future that nobody seems to be designing. Yeah, it's a clusterfuck. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. <sighs> this is this is a little unprecedented for people like us, but this is mostly what history is like. So, I don't know. I was. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot. Do you have That's okay. something you want to say? No, I'm just resigning my psychology of well. That's that's the way it goes. Cool. Um, I recently introduced myself to a historian named Oswald Spangler. Have you ever heard of this that's guy? A terrible name. Um, he's got a he's got a presidential shooter name and a terrible German. Yeah. Well. That's the thing. He was a prominent uh, German nationalist in the Weimar Republic. Ooh. He was part of the conservative revolution in the Uh-oh. Weimar Republic. Um, don't worry. It doesn't go the way you're thinking. Seems like he would. Um, he was like sort of semi-endorsed by the Nazis, but he disavowed them and was hostile to them. Oh, good for and, him. And during... And during uh, you know, during the Third Reich was like fell way out of prominence as a result. They didn't like murder him, but oh, well, you know, hmm. he was he was basically disgraced in their eyes hmm. for speaking out against it. But anyway, it, he is an interesting figure that the that the right wing has somewhat rehabilitated. Um, I, I hesitate to even put it in right and left wing terms because at the end of the day, who cares? He's an interesting guy with ideas that are really uh, have become really credible. Oh, yeah. He was, you know, uh, uh, he was sidelined for a long time because he was involved in conservative politics in Germany. And that's been so toxic for so long that nobody thought it worth looking at at all. But get this, you know. So his his two volume book that's really famous is called Decline of the West. Hmm. And his theory of history that he posits in this book is that basically like all um, human civilizations are more equivalent to like living organisms that go through life cycles rather than this linear trajectory of say like ancient to medieval to modern that we usually think about. Mm -hmm. He thinks about things more um, in terms of like cultural identities in particular locations that go through a process of initial like incubation, then expansion, then collapse. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting as an idea, though, because like typically, you know, everybody tries to do this sort of virtue signaling thing of like, oh, we're all one humanity going through one thing together. But he says, no, like the conditions of where a culture or a civilization arises, like give you the basic outline of what its trajectory will be like. In other words, like the characteristics inherent to a certain people give form to the way that it's going to go for cultures. Um, But attendant with that is the idea that 
regardless of the characteristics of your individual cultural identity, the pattern remains the same. Everybody always incubates, expands, collapse. Well, there is no alternative version of this. It always happens. So imagine him wrong. writing in the Weimar Republic and comparing w- Western culture. He called it Faustian because he made a, all these distinctions. The Germans loved being yeah. stroking, you know, just cranking off to Faust. Well, because you know, in the in the way that he outlined these different civilizations and their emergences, like he made distinctions between um, Russian and Slavic culture, German culture, Greek culture, and Anglo-American culture. Like all of those were different civilizations to him. Whereas normally we would say Europe. Yeah. Is one thing, right? Well, Not, to him, it was the distinctions between these things were valuable. So, uh, so what I'm, what I was saying was that the pattern always remains the same, that you're always going to get this expansion and collapse. And in the Weimar Republic in the 20s, he was saying, this is Faustian civilization. This is Western civilization's late Roman Empire period. And here's what I think is going to happen. And it's worth also noting that his time frame for these things was really accurate to a degree. He puts these things on long time scales. He doesn't do the catastrophizing thing that people on the internet do where they say the collapse is imminent. He says, no, basically these civilizational life life cycles are about 2,000 years. Hmm. And that collapses take centuries. They're not... Yeah, it's not overnight. And and, and again, it's, it's like, I don't know, I think it's sort of worth reiterating that this is a pretty common idea today but that a hundred years ago not maybe not so much you know especially right after the first world war yeah they were also on their own precipice of like what is the new world right you know and now we're in our own what is the new world you know which explains the appeal of his philosophy now i guess and one of the things that's sort of bound up in the way that that he thought about things was that like there's this interesting kind of epistemology to it where he's like in every historical era you are lacking a bunch of information that people in the past had even though you have technology and information that they didn't have like you have to remember that you've also lost insight yeah. i think this is why he gets lumped in with conservatives and why the, he is appealing to them oh is that i wouldn't call it traditionalism or anything but there's a certain kind of like um defining of an Overton window that has to do with like what time you're in, what time and space you're in more than it has to do well, with what culture. Any sort of, well, any sort of defining process is always conservative because it, it relies on the idea of like, there's a tradition or like pattern pattern is tradition, you know, right. uh, uh, to a certain extent, um, which is anti-modern, right? Yes. Which, which will set, which will set less thoughtful people on edge. But I think it's a really valuable insight to remember that like we tend to think we have figured everything out and that we are at always on some at some kind of apex of history rather than being in the middle of a continuity or a spectrum. There's a, there's a way in which this kind of thinking is like weirdly multicultural and really lateral in a way that should appeal to postmodern people. Right, yeah. Um but because of who latches onto him, it makes the view of him kind of myopic. But anyway, just the point being that there's information in the past that you don't have access to that is valuable. Yeah. So as you're like trying to look at your own culture, it's worth looking at as many cultures as you possibly can. And also taking very seriously the idea that um, you're missing something through the way that your technology defines your outlook. Right. Um. And so he says we're in like a late Roman Empire phase, and this is Germany in the 20s. But Hmm. his speculative outline for the way that this would go for the Western world is as detailed as like, well, he's starting to see fascists arise, right? And he's like, well, these people seem like they're Julius Caesar because they're modeling themselves on him. But that's not exactly what happened what's happening these are sort of proto versions of that and real like facile interpretations of a real caesar because these people are populists and not elites the other thing that makes him conservative is he has a real belief that if your elites are like good and manage society well um they can make they can make the path righteous whereas if you let the rabble get in charge they're always going to destroy it well i mean at that period i mean america in the 20s was like fucking rocking 
rocking the socks off of it. You know, Rockefeller Rockefeller's Carnegies were just like paying for a whole lot of shit. Well, but you also have to remember the Great they Depression were also is coming. mining a shitload of oil. Um, well, and the Great Depression was coming down the pike, right? Like, right. like yeah, sure, they seemed like they were knocking it out of the park, but the lower classes didn't necessarily feel that way at the time. And there was a genuine threat until FDR like came along and made like a, a liberal semi-socialist deal with the population and the elites that right. we need to like work this out together rather than just abandon one another. Right. Um, and it's worth noting that FDR was an aristocrat, you know, it, I, I think I don't know. I, I don't know enough to say whether I think Wait, like in the joke way, just in the truest sense. I mean, he was a blue blooded American. It wasn't, you know, oh, he was from American royalty. He wasn't a series of cuss words. Isn't that what the aristocrats is? You a lot of shitting. Yeah. Very you, scatty. You try to get as vulgar as possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So he comes along. Anyway, um, his prescription for what's going to happen in the future is the part that was interesting to me today. He says things like, well, these fascists that are coming along, they're going to fuck it up. There's going to be a giant war again. Well. And at the end of the day, like, everyone will be okay. They're going to they're gonna have to put this, like, Caesarian revolt down. And everything will be okay, but all of our incentives are going to get perverted. This is how it ties into the original oh, conversation. Okay. I'm coming back around. But all of our incentives are going to get perverted. And the idea that we're going to shift the entire world towards a liberal democratic idea is going to seem really nice in the afterglow of the war. But it's ultimately going to fail. And part of the reason it's going to fail is that as the interior of a, of these winning countries gets very wealthy off the war, and he doesn't call it a middle class, he didn't have this exact terminology, but as, yeah. a, as a giant middle class develops, that's only sustainable for so long. Eventually, the elites, who at this point are uh, decadent and out of touch, are going to reassert themselves, and what they're going to do is disenfranchise their own population by importing a bunch of third world labor from the rest of the country from the rest of the world that lost these wars. Well, well, this is fully well, well, 70 years oops, before well, that kicks into <clears throat> high gear, but well, he got it exactly right. And then he even goes as far as to say like around sometime around the year 2000 is when it's really going to kick in hard. And the, you know, he, I don't I don't I didn't read enough to say what his speculation was beyond that. But like a lot of people in more recent decades, he got he got the timing. The timing's really not right. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, and he wow. was like, and, and it, it it was all just an outgrowth of his idea of these like longer scale, you know, natural in the sense of organism life cycle life cycles of civilizations. He's like, this just always happens. That's always how it works. And and that combined with the insight that you always think you're beating it. While you're at the height of civilization, you always think you know everything. Not one, but like the royal we does. Yeah. You know, and that's never true. And you just have to keep in mind that it's like, this is just the way that it goes. And and, and it's sort of this, it's, there's almost like Zen undercurrent to it. And I think it's really powerful coming from somebody in, in that position with what was about to happen in his country then to just sort of be like, yeah. It's going to suck, but it always happens. It's fatalistic. Yeah, it's in not. In a way that's, that's uncomfortable. not, um, you know, doesn't assuage anything. But I think part of the reason that fatalism is uncomfortable is that we exist at the height of a liberal democratic civilization that heavily propagandizes everyone to think that change is always possible. Hmm. When if you expand your Overton window and you think back, if I was a middle medieval peasant, would I think that? No, a- no Absolutely no. not. Their world was not defined by possibility. And I, and I don't understand why just because you exist in like a rare moment in human history, you define your entire life by possibility. I think that's making a lot of people mentally ill right now. Mm. They're not getting what they want. And the friction with that is destroying their lives. But that's not necessary. If you just expand um, your mental fortitude and say, okay, yeah, you, I'm not going to get what I want, and that's fine. Your mental fortitude is not paying your bills. No. Or, uh, you know dissolving your debt you know you can be fucking zen all day and just be like well i'm pavo you know like what we and we don't in america we don't have those kind of structures in place that like the european union or or the uk has of like you know the dole or like semi-decent public housing 
Right, but this criticism isn't necessarily addressed at like the most desperate people. This is a mistake that's like constantly made in political dialogue. Mm. You say something that's like sort of genuinely insightful that like it, hey, if you just reframe your situation for yourself, it could actually help you. It's a little close to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It is. And people don't like people don't like that, but it's it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps saying you need to grind harder, you need to participate in the system more. It's saying Rather, take a look at the system, decide can you change this, and then rearrange your priorities. If that makes you into a rise and grind person and that helps you mentally and monetarily, congratulations, that's great. If it turns you into someone that's like, you know what, I'd rather just live in a bus in the mountains and not make that much money and not really care about all this stuff and just smoke weed and you're more chill, that's also fine. I'm but not- why does it have to be so extreme poles well i'm just giving you the extreme you know, poles yeah. as illustrations right. but there's an entire spectrum between that but that starts with the redefinition of what your frame is mm. and people don't want to think about that because that's a positive kind of narcissism that actually requires like effort and recalibration mm. whereas the easier kind of narcissism is just to resort to envy is you know just to right. resort to these sort of traits that are, that are reinforced by the technology and the outlook around you rather than you know doing disciplined work of mindfulness well that says what are actually my priorities how do i achieve that of course because i mean you know it's a not to get up my own ass but it is a delusian proposition of like you know the public is great when they're being desiring machines right like they just want more need more that they think that they need more so they can consume to an nth degree yeah how good how was the time frame on that who fucking knows but that's the operating rule in most media at our current you know juncture well and the only reason that it works is that most people don't have the time or inclination to consider for a second what is operating upon them the right, fear, the, yeah. like the fierce individualism that runs through America, has a lot of advantages because if you if you can turn that like in the right energetic direction, you can like generate a lot of wealth for yourself in the psychic and literal sense. But if if that individualism is just turned to always, it's it's my fault. What's happening to me? It's you know, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's like well. It's not necessarily your fault with what's happening to you, but what you can do is account for the situation. People that genuinely don't have time to do that are pretty few and far between. Hmm. You know, I'll let a single mother with a couple of kids off the hook for mindfulness. You know what I mean? You have a yeah. lot of responsibility, and usually those people in their in whatever circumstance, in their own way, are very good at being mindful because there's somebody else's well-being on the line, and they focus all of their energy on that, which is obviously virtuous. Right. You know, most of the reason that I'm talking about this is that I have the time to do this, and a lot of people that I know and almost everybody listen, listening to this has time to do this. Right. So it's criticism addressed at us. You know, yeah. and then when I see people that are like envious of people that are selling paintings or that are like whatever, just upset at something on social media or whatever it is, upset about a potential bank run, some news item, who cares? It's like, it's like, okay, like it's fine to like know about all that stuff. Right. I think, I think it's you just know. about, I mean, a classic renaissance, you know, the, you know, the idea of the renaissance man would be. Being able to know about all of it and understand it for yourself and if you need to adapt to it is basically what you're describing is like, you know, but it does take a very uh, controlled centering of yourself to be like, I only need to know about it. I don't need to have uh, a visceral reaction towards anything, actually. Well, that's the thing you can always control is your reactionary sense. Like, yeah. Y- y- I don't think people understand that, though. They don't know. You can elect to have... Uh, an intense reaction to something that's also valid like when i when we a few episodes back when i got all fired up about the ufo thing i basically said that at the time i think was like look i just think this is really interesting i'm Mm -hmm. hyped on this like i'm having an intense reaction to it because i like it yeah i don't really care like what the consequence of the conversation ends up being Mm -hmm. it's just this Mm -hmm. is exciting to me 
And I get it. It's a news item not everybody's going to care about. Right. But so what? It's fascinating. You know? I mean, so there it is. I don't know. Like, the reason, the whole reason I'd go on that diatribe about Spangler or whatever is just that we're talking about this this news item, right? Yeah. And I've read about that a bunch today, too. And I also happened to read about this guy for, like, totally alternative reasons. Mm. And I can't help but, like, try to connect the red string in my head and, like, make Fair. some effort yeah. at, like, how can this improve my situation by hybridizing a view of one thing and a view of another thing. After all, I've spent all day reading about it. Like, I don't understand people that read the news all the time and then, like, don't extrapolate. Oh, yeah. Do you know what no. I'm saying? Like, yeah, the, yeah. there's there's a lot of people that are consumed with, like, the outcomes of political situations. But oh, they do, yeah, no, no. They do almost nothing to uh, right. get alternative points of view, to take things that are unrelated to politics and kind of weave them in and see how, you know, you could get a new lens on a situation. That's why I like getting all this information from from twitter.com if only because you have people shrieking into the ether and you're like what's the vibe what are, what are people you know and then you can extrapolate like what's going on in news and then people's reactions and go what the fuck that's when you get to go wow america's america's really fucked up did you know well, did the, you know well, guys, hey guys hey guys did you know that america's kind of a really fucked up place <laughs> Jesus Christ. I is wonder, that, I is that Mike Tyson or Jay Leno? That's Jay Leno. I wonder how he was doing after burning his face off. I haven't seen him. Yeah. And now Mike Mike Tyson is a pundit himself, too. He has Excuse like me? a very popular podcast. Run that by me one more time. Mike Tyson. He has a very popular podcast. He's a pundit in his own right. Punch, punch in the pod with Mike Tyson. <laughs> he had Alex Jones on his show. That's not a good thing. Okay. Um, Did he bite his ear or like... <laughs> give him no, a tattoo th- on his face i think his shtick is sort of like a uh a getting dug with high type of thing where he gets really stoned with all of these people which is funny and i believe when alex what was, when <sighs> was on his show alex doesn't like marijuana so he just got drunk as hell so i think you go on with mike tyson and you put yourself just in a compromising ripped. situation i mean talk to robin about that yeah, I mean, yeah. too soon a lot of people familiar with that but yeah, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, other than that I like learning things and mm-hmm. at least like trying to spitball. I, I, like I get it. I'm not very smart. I feel like pro- probably I made no sense. Yeah, no, it made sense to me, but I'm also dumb. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I find in my you know advancing years that I'm like, you know what? I used to be like whip smart, and now I'm just like that seems complicated. Do you I don't really th- feel that way though? In the moment of like reading something, you know, a new fact or something like that, I'm like, I don't think I get the whole picture. And then in, in kind of having a conversation, but I'm like, oh, no, I get it. It's just that the situation is bunkers, cuckoo, banana brains. No, what I meant was, do you really feel like you were whip smart in the past? To me, that's counterintuitive. Well, I felt whip smart in the past. That's the difference. I also was a lot faster, though. I could, you know, scan something. And be like, Got it. Now I'm like, what? Yeah, but you know, speed isn't everything. Because I, I do feel like also I was a lot faster. So the whip part. Ladies. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was also true. <laughs> the, um, the whip part is the part that I relate to where, yeah, I do miss the youthful just... Sharpness. Just like sharpness ping, 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 ping. and speed. I don't have that so much, but... Like dartboarding was a lot easier. Like I got the bullseye. I'm moving on, you know. Yeah, but that's but you didn't have the bullseye. That's the thing. Like it, it, speed's not everything. Just because you can throw a lot of darts doesn't mean that your score is very high. Like to to ex- quite bad to extend that analogy, I would say now I, I'm throwing uh throwing fewer darts, but I'm always a lot closer to the bullseye. Like I recognize now that my faculty is superior, even though my speed is slower. Right, and that there are some like strategic advantages to moving slower well i also wouldn't do the thing of questioning like what the fuck what did i just re-? i would just be like i got it I, it's enough and i I'll, I'll believe it or not or like if i have a question i'll either believe it or disbelieve it and i can there's only two poles yeah two routes and now i'm like you know it's a six lane interchange and i'm like huh yeah google maps excuse me ma'am you were which lane She's like, bitch, pick one. And I'm like, I, you've told me no information, even though it's I've consumed all the information. You know, when it's you know when it's, it just says turn left, and you're like, that's yeah. a river, bitch. Yeah, Where? Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting too because I think that does that metamor- metaphor make sense? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a p- part of part of it that's hard for me to determine is whether in the past the information was actually easier to understand because there was fewer distractions and the continuity of broader narratives was more cogent. Yeah. Or whether things have always been informationally dense and somewhat incoherent and that like getting a lot of that information at once makes it a little more clear that you need to sift through more things. Like in other words, I can't tell whether I just used to accept things more readily or whether I I was, or, or whether I am actually better at absorbing information now. I don't know. I think I would accept things readily and then pick a thing with more, you know, with little regard and just be like, no, I think that's the one. And let me tell you why. And I know I'm fucking right because I picked it. You know, that's what youthful hubris can do for you. Exactly. The Um, more we talk about this, the more it's obvious that that's just what every young person does. Well, yeah, but sometimes you're sometimes you're kind of good at it. And so and, you know, as you age, you're just like, I don't think I'm. I'm not that good at picking anything anymore. Picking this. Well, I don't know. This is again what the, where your lens on the past is really confounding to me, mm. because I had the same experience that you had, where at the time I felt very superior, but looking back on it, I just see a very dumb person acting with a lot of hubris. I don't look back and like think, oh, I was actually good. I think I was so bad, but so confident, and now I'm so much less confident, but so much better. And that, I think that part of the thing of becoming better means that you have you, you know, become recursive. Yeah, you know that's part of it. You know, well, and I think but you re- take less risks, so it's a little less fun. Y- precisely on the on the thought, you know, the thought thing or action thing. You're like, yeah, Absolutely. I won't try that because like, what the what is that going to do? That's actually not going to. Uh, there's an opportunity. That, but, 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 you know, you can take the one the the two things and then branch them out immediately and then go right, 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 right. It's not. You know, Occam's razor is not in effect right now. You know, well, you just everything's have a, complicated. Uh, yes, yeah. Every and and you have to pay a, you have to pay attention to that nuance because your risk tolerance is lower. You have to be oh, more right. careful about yeah. how you allocate your resources. Therefore, you need to know more in more depth than you used to. Yeah, or at least have like a broader range of options to select from if you're not going to go the depth route. Right. right. Whereas before it's like it's like, "Oh, I hear an ideology from someone I think is cool. That is enough criteria to just land on that and stick with it for 5 years." Yeah. You know? Um I don't know. And I guess this is But un- I think it's also better to be that way like as you age, like, you know, you can go through crises. Everyone goes through crises. Sure. It, it, that sounds catastrophic, but it's actually not. It's just a matter of like, you know, you know, this is my year of real realizing stuff or whatever. And at certain points of going like, Oh, oops, I have to change, you know, not over to you have to move your own windows around. You got to change the screens around. Got to, you know, loosen up the filters, knock off the dust and then be like, Ooh, Ooh boy. Right. What's no, I, you on know, I, on this day, I like that. I like that, um, analogy because, when you just say Overton window, what you're really just describing is like two brackets, right? And then whatever yeah. lands in between. But it's actually much more three or four dimensional than that. Yeah. You're doing a lot of things with a lot of windows. So many windows. And the windows at the back of the house and the front of the house are different for different applications. So they have different screens and different filters on them. And oh, you know, yeah. Depending on the issue, whatever. And if you haven't cleaned them for a while, you know, cleaned the you know, glass for a while, you can't even see the fucking schmutz. Yeah, exactly. What a fucking mess. Yeah. Yeah, part of the only re- delusion is the schmutz. Mm, can be. Yeah. Also, I mean, the, maybe it's different than schmutz, but there can just be rust. Like, part of the yeah, reason yeah, yeah. that I that I sometimes uh, I drop in and out of it more than I used to, but part of the reason that I keep up with the news cycle broadly is that I just don't want to get to the point where I look up one day and it's been like a few years since I checked in on what other people think, and just go, and eh, it's not just. You get calcified right? in a way that I'm like, uh, maybe it's in, in unjustified anxiety, but I'm kind of terrified of that. I don't ever want to be like a calcified person mentally. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I just, 
if you're worried about it, you probably won't be but you know it's always an option um but it does become the kind of thing of like you know there's certain things like technologically i'm like what and i'm like i don't know i learned how to make a flash thing does anyone use flash right all that wasted time on flash like fuck yeah, you're you, like the you children are a nice s- animation that someone will just go skip intro. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like, and it becomes that kind of thing of like I don't think I, you know, I don't think I have the tools, you know, to remain competitive in a certain kind of brain space, you know. But you know, I think the more useful tools for living are being, you know, insightful and thoughtful and considerate to greater ramifications of how to do. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I don't really care about that. I'm like, that doesn't work. The operative word to me is like remaining competitive. I, I, I don't, I think that gets de-emphasized the farther I get into life competition. Like, yeah. Really at all. There's very few areas where I feel the need to best anybody with anything. I don't, I don't think. I don't actively think about that actually is what I should say. Oh, so you don't want to go fencing one day? Because I think that instinct does come in, mm. but I don't want it as much as i used to right I, I mean there's a subject that yeah we can talk about it on the after show because we have to black box so many beeps and mm. bloops okay interesting mm. about feeling youthful and pretending <laughs> and pretending mm-hmm. huh yeah fascinating well we have 10 minutes left oh here. fuck we i thought i was wrapped yeah, it up no, god you, damn it you, you didn't <sighs> well you see the oscars people won Man, no, I did not see the Oscars. Mm. I wasn't even aware they were happening oh, until yeah, they yeah. were like halfway over. Oh yeah, it was. On, uh, that's why I was like scrolling Twitter and waiting for the good shit to pop off, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh man." Well, and just speaking of like mental bandwidth and things that I do not include in it, the Oscars was one of them. Yeah, because I was the part of the reason I think I ended up reading so much about that Spangler guy today was like when I was on Google News or on Reddit, it was just like take after take about the Oscars. And I was like, I just so thoroughly do not care oh, fair. Well, that I'm just going to go down like a Wikipedia and like Google Scholar rabbit hole about an obscure German. Because that, that's like well, always more appealing to me than like everything everywhere all at once will ever be. You know what I mean? I just have zero interest. Still haven't seen it. Um, Apparently it's good. I'm sure it is. But it's just the fact that it's like... Whatever. Now I'm going to sound like a just truly redundant old man where I'm like, why does everybody have to complain about everything? Oh, I don't think anyone was complaining. Everyone was like, you know what? All I saw was lots of haranguing and complaining because there was news articles about Michelle Yeoh saying she was the first person to win an Oscar that identified as Asian. What? So, of course. No, she's the first Asian woman. But all the articles said identifies as Asian. So everyone was like, what's this narrative change? This is weird. Is Dolezal okay now? People have eyes? But why would you say she identifies? She just is She's Malaysian. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? It makes no sense. People done lost their goddamn minds. Um, But also, like, no one cares about that. And uh, and people are mad because everything everywhere all at once is obviously not as good of a movie as, like, Banshees of Inishirin or Tar... And so the pretentious things that elites wanted to win didn't exactly win. Well, the Reddit movie won, and everyone's mad. And it's I, and it's like, all right, enough. Oh, wait. Just a general audience movie won because it made people feel stuff? I don't know. That sounds like a good time to me at the, at this point, you know? It sounds fine with me. It's just, it's just that my point is I do not care about the Oscars and their, like, perceived uh, well, value. Some people think that this movie winning is denigrating the Oscars. Other people think that it's this like populist revolution within this elite institution. And, you know, all I can see is like the DSA people at the convention yelling at each other over pronouns. Hmm. You know what I mean? And then Ben Shapiro talking about it the day after. That's what all of this is exactly like. It's the same fucking thing. We live in different ecosystems. I know. I'm I'm just using my bubble as an analogy, but it's like, imagine how annoying that would be to you. Entertainment conversations underscored by like political spectrums are are about as annoying as it gets to me. I just can't handle it. I do not care. That's very dumb. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, no, I just, I'm like, oh, interesting from like a entertainment, you know, because... Uh, actors and shit, you know, vote on all of that. Right. Like, it's we, not a general public thing. It's not. So, at the end of the day, like, people are like, 
Why Jamie Lee Curtis win an Oscar? I'm like, because she's like the biggest, she's the oldest Nepo baby. Okay. So she's going to get one because she did something that wasn't a Halloween movie. What did she win for? Like a supporting actress? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even know that. What was she in? Ever, ever. Oh, she was the secretary in that movie. I saw screenshots of that. I saw that Brendan Fraser won for The Whale, which makes me want to watch that movie. People were real mad because they're like, we're getting Oscars for wearing fat suits. It's not funny. It's my life. I'm like, well, it could not be if you got a little. Yeah, why didn't they cast a plus-size actor? That's what Stavi said. He's like, I'm a little mad. He didn't actually gain 600 pounds like a true fat ass. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not wrong. I was listening to something else the other day that was... They threw out a stat that kind of blew my mind that like to get to the weight, the real weight of Brendan Fraser in the whale, you um, only have to gain three pounds a month for 10 years. Do you know how hard that is? When I really thought about it later, I was like, yeah, that actually is really hard to do, but not that hard. I feel like if you're eating low enough quality stuff three times a day. It's so nutritionally, nutritionally undense that you don't actually gain weight unless you're only eating trash dude i don't know i i also just think you have to imagine like you know how you eat at like christmas time or like at thanksgiving where you're just like basically i'm having like two full plates right now and then probably picking at some stuff for the rest of the night oh imagine that was your dinner every time could never it would be hard at first, but oh no, I could. Uh. You know, back in the day when I worked at the new museum, there was a very, very petite uh, lady security guard. She, she was very small person, like mm-hmm. probably five foot. I don't even know what weight. Very skinny, and she was concerned about gaining weight. She wanted to gain weight, and she, the people encouraging her to gain weight were like, "You just have to keep eating when you're full." And she was just like, "I can't do it." Yeah. Well, guess who can do it? I can fucking do it. <laughs> like, it wasn't that hard for me to picture just just keep eating all the time. And I was like, I feel like I could just keep eating. I don't get that uncomfortable most of the time. Oh. It could keep going. I could yeah, have double portions every time. But that's because you're an active person. I guess so. If you're a, a slovenly, you know, piece of shit doing that, I don't know if you could. I mean, you're not burning anything. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it would make you feel really bad. I mean, I think what the whale is all about is just food addiction, right? Like, it's basically like watching Requiem for a Dream, but it's food Food. and not heroin. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, here's the thing. I love food, too, but, like, there's times when I'm, like, you know, I'm a little hungry, and I'm, like, I need 1,300 calories. Fire up that T-Bell app, you know? But then I know the next day I'm like, well, we're going to spend some quality time on that tushy and then go uh, to the gym and then run that all off. Okay. Yeah, but that's you now. But imagine you like two years ago. You don't think you could just keep going? No. You get the T-Bell, you know, the $18 goes down and you're like, "Mm, hmm, I don't know. There's some pimento cheese dip in the fridge. I might just... I mean the real have a second the real, helping. The real fat ass move is to take that sweet sweet chicky quesadilla and dip it in some other Ooh, dips. That sounds so good. Woo! <laughs> Woo! We love that. Make a little little sauce out, out of the jalapeno cauliflower dip. Well, and luckily, then... I never caught you doing that. I did catch you with dip dinners many times, but never with a cheese d. Listen, sticking it in. I there. I <laughs> cheese d. Ew, sounds like you need a shot. Um. We ha- uh, I went out for Mediterranean food, and like a meze platter is basically just dip dinner. And I was like, yeah. "This is the best shit." Well, a lot of uh, a lot of cuisines are just dip dinner. Yeah, if you really think about it, basically Indian food is dip dinner. Yeah, let's be honest, Ethiopian definitely all is. dip dinner. Yeah, um, when you're having baba ganoush, you're having hummus. Yeah. You're ha- it's all dip. Yeah, you throw a little little kebab on there, and you're like, "Ooh, baby." Everything surrounding the Mediterranean Sea is dip dinner. Yeah, it's great. Basically. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking love it, mate. Whoa. Australians don't do dip dinner. I don't know what the they do. They do shrimp eat. on the barbie. <laughs> I thought they just go to the steakhouse. That's true, too. Blue they're, and onion dip dinner. It's not really a dip. 
Well, the onion itself is not, but you're really just in it for the it's spicy, that sweet, sweet sauce, spicy yeah, mayo. Aioli, yeah. I if there was an Outback Steakhouse close enough Ugh. to order Bloomin' Onions, I would be Brendan Fraser. I would be the whale. You know, there's one out in Queens. Yeah, I know, but that's you know that's a Postmates fifty five dollar decision. Right, that steak's gonna be I gross. Might, I might institute Bloomin' Onion Night once a month. Just get a cold Bloomin' Onion from twelve miles away. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm here from Ronkonkoma, Long Island. I have you blooming onion. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, ah! Uh, hmm. Okay, that's enough. Okay. I feel like the beginning of the show was at the end this time. We bracketed. It was kind of a weird We were version. talking about Overton windows and yeah. brackets. We did it. Yeah, this is the... We did it, Joe. Green and Lewis Overton window. Clean your screens. Spring cleaning screens. We didn't find a title. Oops. Ah, we'll find one. You'll we'll find, find one in the edit. You'll find one because you know yeah. you produce all of them. That's true. Fifty-one percent. 